My name is Anne-Marie Hernandez. I'm with Class 650 out of Artesia, New Mexico. And you're listening to the Old Patrol Podcast. Honor first. Greetings and welcome to episode 21 of the Old Patrol HQ Podcast. I'm your host, Gil Maza. This podcast is dedicated to celebrating and preserving the history, heritage, and legacy of the Old Patrol through the words of those who lived it, with a few shenanigans along the way. In celebration of Women's History Month, we will talk with Border Patrol agent Anne-Marie Hernandez, Class 650 out of Artesia, New Mexico. She's been a canine handler and has had some tough experiences in the patrol that have molded and shaped her into an extraordinary PA who's admired and respected by her peers. And we get to hear her story here exclusively at Old Patrol HQ. Ain't no patrol like the Old Patrol. Honor first, honor always. I got injured um, back in 2018 um, by one of the dogs here at our station. So, so that, I was going to ask you about that. So uh, that was a pretty significant event in your life, right? In your career. Yes, it was. So, it was. So walk us through that. I had I had never got I've never have never gotten hurt, thank God, on the job until that day. My husband and I we had gone on vacation. We went on and then I came back and I found out that one of my coworkers uh, was leaving and he's a canine handler as well. I go, so I was asking him, Are you gonna be able to take your dog with you when you transfer it? Because he was going to Harlingen. I believe that's where he's going. Anyways, and he goes, I, he goes, I don't know. They haven't told me. He goes, but more than likely, they're not going to let me take him. I go, then what are they going to do with him? Because his dog was a little aggressive. Mm-hmm. And they go, well, they're thinking about retiring him because they don't think he would be good to be trading, you know, giving up to another handler. Because I think he was like his second or third handler already. And they don't think that, you know, being changing so many handlers wasn't going to be good for him. So they're thinking about retiring him. I said, all right, well, that's cool if you get to keep him. He goes, yeah, he goes, but I don't know if I want to keep him or not. And I'm like, he goes, because I don't know how he'll be around my daughters because he had a, a three-year-old and a one-year-old little girl. And he goes, and I don't know how he would be around my, my daughters. I go, yeah, that's something pretty big to think about. So that was on a, I believe like on a Tuesday. And so uh, on, a, it was on a Friday when I got hurt, that Friday me and my um, co-worker, we were working together, and he had just had his dog out running, air stunting a vehicle. And so after they were done air stunting, I... Uh, went up to him and we were talking and I go, hey, can I pet, can I pet your dog? And he's like, yeah. And I love dogs, so whether they're mean or anything, I always find, try to find the good in them. And so I went up to him and I was, he let me pet him and we were petting him and I was talking to him and then I, and I told him, because his name was Lesko, mm-hmm. I go, I go, Lesko, I said, I'm sorry everybody thinks you're such an asshole, mm-hmm. um, but I like you. And I kept petting him and then, I went to move, and all of a sudden, I just see him coming at me, and I put my hand up to my forehead, and I just remember him tugging at my arm like he had a rag in it, like just jerking it really hard, mm. and my coworker, he pulled him off of me, and 
I, I just remember another one of my coworkers coming to me. And, hey, are you okay? You okay? I go, yeah, he just got my arm. Well, they rushed me into the checkpoint. And then I, and I was supposed to check traffic next. And I go, hey, I just, just, I go, yeah, I'm going to be all right. I just got a little bit of scratches on my arm. And my other coworkers like, uh, you're not going back to work. I'm like, why not? I said, I can, I can still check traffic. And they're like, no, you can't. And I'm like, why can't I? My arm's not, I'm okay. But after a while, my arm just started throbbing. It felt like it, it broke. And so I told them, yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe I won't be checking traffic. And they, I called my husband because they're like, well, first they tell me you're going to go to the emergency room. I'm like, for what? So I just got a, my arm's just a little sore. I'll be all right. And they're like, no, no, you're going to the emergency room. So they wouldn't tell gonna, you the extent of the, the of, of what had happened? Nope. They didn't tell me that I had um, half part of my forehead hanging. Um, they didn't tell me. I didn't see blood. That's what was weird is I didn't see any blood. Um, so they didn't tell me exactly what was going on. Right. They, they just, you know, they just said, hey, you know, we're going to have you go checked out. And I'm like, but I'm okay. I'll be all right. And I'm like, no. And then they go, we're going to call an ambulance. I'm like, an ambulance? My arm, it's just my arm. That's all I kept telling them. They're like, no, we're going to call an ambulance. I'm like, okay, you guys know better than me, I guess. So you had, so no, I had no idea? No idea. Mm. No idea. And so they had me call my husband to tell him that I was going to the emergency room. And I told him, I just got bit by a dog on my arm. I'll be all right. So... They called the ambulance, but they said it was they were going to take too long. So one of the other agents drove me and met him halfway. And so when everybody's evaluating me, they're like, are you in pain? I said, yeah, my arm hurts. It's starting to really, really hurt. And they're like, and they're taking pictures of my forehead. And I'm like, what the heck's going on? I, I go, well, maybe I got a scratch. And they're, you know, wanting to take pictures or, you know, I don't know. So they give me a shot for pain, and they send me to the hospital. And I get to the hospital, and all I see is a bunch of, like, other agents there. My husband's there. And they put me into this room, and there's, like, four or five doctors and nurses. And I'm like, Whoosh. you would have thought I had a heart attack or, you know, or I was dying. Yeah. Um, but I was grateful. I mean, they were taking care of me. And then... Um, if I could just if I could just ask you real quick, so sure. um, from the time that you know they had pulled the dog off, they they didn't try to, like there wasn't an EMT or they didn't call an EMT to just try to do something initially to basically uh, you know to treat you initially. There was no EMT on duty, ah. so I just remember because I thought I had a scratch. That's all right. I thought is I had right. was a scratch on my forehead because I remember an agent putting something on my forehead so I just figured I had a scratch because that's all that's pretty much all they told me is I had a scratch that ah, was it okay and I think the reason why they didn't tell me what was really happening is because they were afraid I'd go into shock because apparently the the injury was bad yeah and I didn't I didn't know so I think they were worried that I would I would have gone into shock because I was still being my normal self. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I can't um, so they, you know, they just, I guess they didn't want to tell me. And so when I got to the hospital, 
I thought I was just going to have to have like a, like a stitch or something. Yeah. And the next thing I know is that they're telling my husband they're going to send me to El Paso because I needed to see a plastic surgeon. And I'm thinking, you know, that's, and I just remember that. And I don't remember the reaction or why. I, I don't remember asking them why. And then they kept telling my husband that they were worried about my hand because of how deep the bites were. And they were, it was my gun hand. So they were worried that there would have been some nerve damage. And so they wanted me to go see a surgeon for that as well. And so that's when they took me to the University of El Paso, the hospital there. Mm-hmm. And then they took me to the emergency room there. And um, when I got there, that's when I found out how bad it was, how bad the wound was on my head. It was probably less than a quarter inch above my eye. And it goes, it went all the way to the back, probably... I want to say about an inch into my past my hairline, and it went down probably another three inches by my ear. Mm. And they said it was just like flap, like it was just like a flap, you know, like loose. I've never they've taken pictures, and I've not seen them to this day. I don't want to see them. Okay. So I know they said they were pretty bad. I ended up with. I I think it was 12 stitches on my forehead and 19 staples on my head and five stitches on my hand. So it was, it was, it was bad. (laughs) I could have all, I could have almost lost my eye because it was about less than a quarter inch above my eye where it started. But um, you don't you you don't seem to recollect the actual process of that of the of the dog doing that to you. No, I don't. I just I just remember him having my hand. Mm-hmm. That's it. And I think when I went to block my face is probably when he grabbed my arm, my wrist, my hand, and he must have at the same time got my forehead too. So if I wouldn't have put my hand in front of my face, he would have got my face. So it was after after it all happened it was kind of scary. I it happened on a Friday and I ended up they kept me in the hospital um, until Sunday and I got to come home Sunday night. And that's the first time I'd ever stayed in the hospital overnight for myself. Mm-hmm. So that was that was different to um, just to feel helpless and I didn't like that feeling. Right. I, I just, it was not me. So it was, that was a big, big experience for me to to go some, through something like that and to have to depend and on people to help me was hard. And at what point, Henry, did, did, did you finally realize, like, get the full understanding of the damage that had been done? When they told me they were going to take me into surgery because they were worried that, for one, they were worried about my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, they were worried about 
any nerve damage being there. And then when they told me that a plastic surgeon was going to come in because the the wound was, it was, it wasn't where anybody could just put stitches on it and it would be good. They actually had somebody that had to put it together to fix it right or attempt to fix it right. So a specialist. So, yes. So that, that, at that point, that's when I realized that, oh crap, this is, this is bad. It, it's, it's not good. And you know, what was really hard is because I know a lot of us are very vain. I mean, and I'm not saying that in a bad way, but you know, for a girl, for a female or anybody to get a scar yeah. on their face or anywhere near the face yeah. is you don't know how bad it's going to be or if it's going to be really bad. And so that kept going through my mind. Is it going to be really bad? Is it going to, you know, are people going to stare at me and, and ask me questions about it all the time? Or, so things like that were going through my head. And I know it's not as bad as other things, but when it happens to you, yes. it's different, you know? Yeah. And so that's that. That's what was hard. And one thing, too, another reason why I thought it was really bad is the, when I saw the lick on my mom's face. Because my mom, they, they called my mom. I told my husband, you better call her because if she finds out from somebody else, she's going to kick my butt. And yeah. I don't need that. So when she came... And she saw my saw me, and I saw the look on her face. I knew it was bad, cause she looked scared. So that's when I realized that it was when they told me about having to have surgery and seeing my mom the look on my mom's face. That that's when I realized it's not a small thing. Yeah. Wow. So that's and after that, I just. You know, I, I have to look at the funny things that happened, you know, after that, like when they were taking me into surgery, my husband said that I was um, singing dumb songs. I was singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> I was singing Ten Little Monkeys Jumping on the Bed. And as they were wheeling me to the, to uh, surgery, I was singing the Hokey Pokey, he said. <laughs> and, you know, so I, I look at things like that and I think, you know, that was funny. And so I I try to think of the positive things and not the negative. Because if I dwell on the negative, then it's harder to to overcome. And so that's, yeah. you know, I do that. After, after I got released from the hospital, it was really, it was really hard because I didn't know what, it happened, what they did with my canine. I was worried about him. I was worried about the agent that had his dog. I was worried about the canine that bit me more than I was worried about myself. I was worried that they were going to take my dog away because I didn't know how long I was going to be out. Yeah. I was I was worried about the other agent because I didn't want him to get in trouble for what had happened. And the dog, I didn't want them to put him down. He was being a dog. He's, he's an animal. It wasn't, you know... It's, there was a lot of things that I was worried about that I wanted to make sure that they were okay as well. So even um, after all that, you never, you never were upset for, at the, at the actual uh, dog that did it? No. 
I wasn't. I wasn't. And people tell me, oh, I would have had that dog shot. Well, yeah, but I'm not like that. That that dog is, I, I, I can't explain it. Even though he did what he did, I don't blame him. Um, I, I, I still kind of blame myself because I, I was petting him. Maybe I shouldn't have been petting him. Do you think, you know, you, you so. think have you been able to uh, figure out why he might have reacted the way he did? The only thing that I can think of is one or two things. Maybe I was standing over him and he thought I was trying to dominate him. Or maybe there was a smell on me that he didn't like. But after after all of this, you know, going through all these emotions and stuff, remember... I told you about the canine handler transferring and him wanting to keep, he was thinking about keeping the dog. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking, well, maybe things happen for a reason. I, I firmly believe that, that things happen for a reason. And the reason why I got bit was to save him from taking that dog home and something happening to his kids. So... That gave him, at that moment, the decision to say, you know what, I don't want that dog anywhere near my family. Uh. So I feel like I was put in the way to help him make that decision because I could have saved his little girls. I don't know, but that's how I feel. And so, backing up a little bit, they they uh, they they bring you into surgery, and I'm assuming that uh, you know they put you back together. How long did it take for you to um, to recover and leave the hospital? I went in on. They took me on on a Friday, and I left Sunday night. I came home on a Sunday. It was just three days. Yeah. Or two days. I came home, and I. This part's hard for me <laughs> because I came home and I was told that the canine instructors from sector wanted to come and see me. And I can't remember if it was the day after I got out of the hospital or the second day I got out. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to come and talk to me. So they came to my house and... They, they told me that they wanted to get my side of the story as to what happened. And then they wanted to tell me what they were going to do with my dog. So I, of course, told them the same thing that I just told you about. I don't want the agent to get in trouble. I don't want them to take my dog away. And I don't want them to hurt. I don't want them to do anything bad to the other dog, like putting him down. I said, I don't want that because I would feel guilty if that agent got in trouble or if they didn't, if, or if they put that dog down, I would have felt really bad. And that would have probably hindered my, me recuperating as quickly as I did. Well, they came over and I told them that and they told me that they were going to take my dog and send it to another station so that he would have better care instead of being at the kennel. Well, I have 45 days for a COP. Mm -hmm. And I told him, well, I know that 
agents who have broken their leg or knee or whatever have been out longer and they don't take the dog to another station. Why are you going to take my dog away from here? And they're like, well, we just think he would be better taken care of. I'm like, well, I don't think it's right. So I told them, if you look at me kenneling that dog, that dog only gets kenneled like once a year when we go on vacation. Otherwise, he's here at my house all the time. So why are you going to take my dog away? And the only explanation they can give me is that he would be better taken care of over there in another station because they have kennels on the property and agents that can check on him every day. And I, I just didn't think, you know, that it was right. Well, apparently my husband had came, had come, he came home and he told them, you better not take that dog away from her because if you do, you're going to mess her up. And if you mess up my wife, you're not going to like what comes out of me because that dog is what's getting her through this right now because all she keeps thinking about is getting better to get back on duty so she can get that dog out of the kennel. That's all she keeps talking about. So you better not take him away because then you're going to mess her up and um, it's not going to be pretty. It's pretty much what he told them. Yeah. So your husband was so, stepped in and was, he's looking out for you because he knows you better than anybody else. Yeah. Yep. And, because, and honestly, because of that dog, I, I think... I mean, because you always hear it from other guys. Hey, um, I would have milked it. I would have, I would have done more than the 45 days. You know, when they get hurt, you hear people say that all the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that to him because 45 days in a kennel is a long time yeah. as it is. Any, any time after that, it, it's, it, it's not good for him. And so my focus was him. My focus was to get him home so that we could get back to work and become a team again. That was my main focus. I didn't, that was my goal. And I would do what the doctor told me and I would do double. I'd have to do physical therapy. I would go and then um, I would do exercises at home. And so I got hurt on November 18th and I was able to go back to light duty the day after Christmas. And then, of course, with the furloughs and stuff, we had to, they wouldn't let me do light duty. No, and so I came back to light duty the day after Christmas, and then again the furlough happened. So they're like, yeah, we can't let you do light duty. And I go, well, when can I, they asked me, well, when are you gonna get released from light duty? I said, I'll go today and have him release me. And they're like, no, we can't, you know, don't do that. Mm -hmm. But um, I came back to work on February, I think it was like the 12th. So right right before my 45 days were up, I, I came back to work. So, and it was all because of that four-legged little guy. Yeah. You know. Let me ask you, um, how did how did the station from management on down respond to, respond to, to this situation with you? They were great, actually. They were really supportive. They checked up on me. They they would ask me, you know, how I was doing. And you know what's funny is they they were they were really good. But you're gonna laugh at this. <laughs> I was here 
when I was able to, after I could, the doctor released me to let me drive, Yeah. I was here almost every day. Even, I didn't have to, but I would come in just an excuse to bring in my CA-17 or a copy of a doctor's bill just to have that interaction with my my brothers mm-hmm. because I was at home. My husband worked. I was, My canine dog's not here. He's in the kennel. My mom and dad were working. My nieces and nephews were in school. So I was at home by myself, and I didn't like it. I didn't like sitting there thinking about what was going on. So I would come to work and just to turn in stuff. And I didn't, I could have waited, but I was here like maybe two, three times a week until I came back to work just to keep me sane, to -hmm. keep me from getting depressed at home because all I kept thinking about was coming back to work and getting my canine. That was it. And that was my way of coping was to come and see people. And that's what I would do. And when you got back to work and you finally, I, I can imagine that Choco was thrilled to see you. Oh, yeah. You know, way back when, I'll be honest, I didn't know how I was going to, I, I didn't want to lose him, but I wasn't yeah. sure how I was going to react to him. Yeah. Because he, cause I had gotten bit by a dog. I was going to ask that. So... I, the canine instructor here, I asked him, I go, will you go with me to go pick him up? Because I don't know what my my reaction is going to be towards him. And he's like, yeah, sure. I go, because if I don't think I can work with him anymore, that, that'll be the day I, I'll know. And they're like, yeah, no. He goes, no problem. So we drove out there, and I saw him. And he saw me, and he started jumping and running and doing spinning circles. And so when they let him out of the kennel, he came running to me, and I thought I was going to freeze. And I started crying because he remembered me, and he wanted to be with me. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to be good. And so we were good. Mm. We were good. He, he, I can honestly, he was my, my, besides the support of my family, he was probably my savior. Because if it wasn't for him, I don't think I would have had a goal to return to work as quick as I did. Yeah. Remind me of the, the, the the dog that was involved in the incident. What was his name? Lesko. Lesko. And and what ended, what ended up happening to Lesko? My, so... They were trying to find him a home, and they tried with um, the security forces on Holloman, and when Holloman found out what had happened, they're like, E, I don't know if we want him. So they asked the Alamogordo Police Department here mm-hmm. if they wanted him, and they're like, I don't know, you might be a liability if he bites somebody. Um, they were kind of worried about it. So they were having a hard time finding a home for him. So I guess they reached out to his first handler, and I think he's out in California somewhere. Um, they reached out to him, and they asked him if he wanted him, and he's like, yeah, I'll take him. Well, my understanding is that the canine handler from here, the instructor, met him in, uh, I think, in Lordsburg. Mm-hmm. 
And so they met, and my understanding is that in they got there, the canine handler here and says, hey, do you want me to get him out of the truck? And and the prior handler's like, no, no, no. He goes, I got this. So I guess they opened the door and he called his name and that Lesko just got out of the truck and went running to him and got on his back and was, you know, just all happy to, to see him. So... That's the story they told me, and that's the story I'm sticking to, because that makes me feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like he ended up getting a happy ending when he more than likely would have been, you know, in any other circumstance, probably would have been put down. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it it wouldn't have been good. And, you know, and I keep thinking, I'm wondering if, because, you know, dogs have feelings, just like we do. I believe that. Mm-hmm. I think maybe he was really attached to his first handler, and that's why he became such an asshole when they got separated. I don't know why they did. Maybe he left to go somewhere else. I don't know. So I'm wondering if that's why Lesko became the kind of dog that he is because of that. You know, maybe he, maybe that was his way of acting out. I don't know. But I really hope that that's what happened, is that he's in a good home. So they kept saying that Lesko was an asshole. Is it because, did he did it, it bite anybody else? From my understanding is he did. Mm-hmm. He, he bit a couple, you know, like snapped at people or, or like drew a little bit of blood on him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, I've heard that. And so from that point on, did Choco retire then or did you guys still end up working a little bit before he retired? We ended up working um, a little over a year. Another, another we continued year? To work, yeah, we continued to work together. And you felt yeah. like you fully recovered from the whole situation? I do. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, but I think I think my my mutual understanding for dogs has changed somewhat. I never used to be afraid of petting a strange dog. I would go up to him, pet him, love on him. Now, not so much. You're more leery. That, yeah, I'm, I'm a lot more leery now okay. than I used to be. And I think about becoming a canine handler again. I just don't know if if I could get another dog like Choco, I'd be good. <laughs> but if I get one that's a little more hyper and aggressive, or not aggressive, but more um, stubborn, I guess, I don't know if I would be able to do it. I I, I don't know. Um, Time will tell, I guess. And so right now, since now you've moved on, and now what what do you do? What do you, uh, where are you working right now? Um, Right now, I'm um, at the end of my detail with the Board of Community Liaison. Uh It was a two-year detail. So I'm almost at the end of it. And what's next? My next goal, I have two. I've only got six years left to retire. So I would like to either uh, become a supervisor or go to the academy and teach. What what would you teach? Either like ups or Spanish. So that's my goal right now. 
In other conversations I'd had with Will, he said that you're very involved at your station when it comes to morale. He says you like to you you're you're always cooking briskets and for fundraisers <laughs> and and I know personally based on our conversations that you go out of your way to you know to make people feel good and honor them and uh, you know and recognize uh, people's uh, efforts and things like that. So what um, what motivates you to do all that for the station? I think I think what motivates me is because this is my family and I want to make sure that my family is okay. So my motivation is that is to make sure they're okay and I try to you know, I, I took over Welfare and Rec, mm-hmm. or MWR, as it's called, and I love to be able to recognize people, to, you know, to let them know that we're here for them, and it's not just about one person, it's all about us together as, as brothers and sisters, Yeah. and I think that's what motivates me, and it's not, and it's not to... To make people want to like me or think they have to like me. That's not what it's about. It's just coming from... Yeah, it's coming from the heart. To me, recognition doesn't matter. What matters to me is that you... I'm recognizing you and you're okay. And if you need somebody to come to, I'm here. That's my motivation. Ah. Well, that, that is something that's near and dear to my heart because um, in my entire career, I, I ended up setting up the chaplaincy program here in San Diego Sector, and I was one of the first classes. I was in the first class for peer support in San Diego, so I've all, I also I feel like we're, we're, we're kindred spirits in that sense is that I've always, one of my biggest goals in my career has always been to make sure my fellow agents were okay. Yeah, that's like, you know, like if... And it, it, sometimes it's, it's, I shouldn't, I don't want to feel like it's, sometimes it feels kind of tiring because you want to make sure everybody's okay. Are you trying to keep track of, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. I need to make sure he's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, is he just on, on annual leave or is there something going on? If I don't see somebody for a while, I'll try to find out, are they okay? Because I don't want anybody to feel like they're out there alone because they're not we're all here for them and i know it's hard for people to ask for help Mm -hmm. but i try to tell them not to think of it as help but leaning on a family and that's what i try to relay out to to my, my brothers and sisters here yes you know part of the reason that we're doing this right now is because women's history month is coming up in march and one of the things that we do here in Old Patrol HQ is we we honor and celebrate our female agents in, in many different ways. As a bit of a closer, I guess, what would be what would you advise female agents that are you know whether they're in the patrol right now and uh, maybe they're struggling or the new ones that are coming in? What would you say to them as they embark on this career? I would tell a new agent to don't to, for sure don't let anybody bring you down whether it's a supervisor watch commander patrol agent in charge or just a, a fellow agent don't don't ever let anybody tell you you can't do something because you can do it 
if, you know, if anything I learned is that we're strong, just like the males are, and we can accomplish just as much as they can. So don't, don't let anybody tell you that you can't do something because you can. And we can work together as a team. You know, we're, we're just, I don't know how else to explain that, but just, you know, don't let anybody get you down. Just keep fighting and, and just start striving for a goal and keep setting your mind to that goal and do it because you can do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't, I think that uh, nobody's in a better position to tell others to keep fighting and never give up because you've experienced it yourself and you, and you lived up to those words. And I keep trying to. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a constant thing, right? Because when you're trying to be a help to others, you know, you don't want to be the one getting caught, you know, struggle bad mouthing management or getting you know or or, or uh, you know getting down and uh you know you because then people can't turn won't turn to you because you know you you're in trouble yourself right right so yeah no, i i i keep trying to you know if i'm having a bad day i try not to let other people know yeah uh, i just because my problem may not be as bad as somebody else's and i'd rather help somebody with 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 things that they need more than I do. Yeah. And you know, sometimes it's hard because you you keep you sure. keep you keep trying and sometimes you feel like it's not working, but in the long run it is. Yeah. And uh yeah, and, it, and there's something to be said about being able to, you know, hold on to that attitude all the way to retirement. I'll tell you, I I I've loved this job. I've loved my career. I've I've enjoyed, uh, you know, the closing times that I have left. I cherish every minute before I, because I'm going mandatory myself. So um, I know I've taken a lot of your time, and Marie, and I really appreciate your time and patience and and sharing this story, your story with us. But I want to ask you a couple of, um, I don't know, tongue tongue in cheek questions. So, sure. how did you end up uh, having the misfortune of meeting Will Inman? He came here to Alamogordo <laughs> to work. So you had no choice. Oh, I had no choice. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did you say he got there to work? Well, let me rephrase that. Yeah, yeah. He, maybe. Came, <laughs> he came. He came here to grace us with his presence. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, you bought yeah. one of his books yet? No, I keep. I keep forgetting. I need to find. I need to get sit down and read one. I heard they're good. Yeah, he's all right. He's he takes right. a good picture for his book, though. Well, oh no! Well, yeah, that's his specialty right there. Just ask him. <laughs> and um, I like to ask this of all my uh, Texicans and New Mexicans: uh, Whataburger or In and Out? I I like In and Out. Ah. <laughs> okay. But that's only because I can get Whataburger all any time. Is that is that not not because it's better? No, no. <laughs> Wait. But then we have we have in New Mexico we have Whataburger, which is almost like Whataburger. Yeah. So I yeah. know I, mean, I know a lot of Texans will say Whataburger, I mean Blake's Whataburger or Whataburger. Uh, so yeah. 
Anne-Marie, again, I uh, want to thank you for taking the time to doing this podcast with us. Uh, we are, we are, you know, we're, we're gaining and we're growing. But like I said, um, my main goal here was to just, you know, showcase our, our salt of the earth agents, the ones that are, you know, on the ground doing the work, earning that field cred, then, uh, you know, fighting hard and overcoming obstacles. And uh, especially, you know, you had to overcome obstacles in many different ways you were you're small and then you got you had those challenges and then you know situations where again a, a female was you know isn't necessarily always welcome and you had to fight those challenges as well and then overcoming personal crises like this i personally get very inspired by examples like that and i think you are a shining example of a down-to-earth border patrol agent you know out there doing the job and going out of their way to out of your way to uh not just you know get through your day and get through your career and get yourself done done but to help people along the way that to me is worth its weight in gold well thank you because like you know i'm just i just i just try to be me and um, I just try to encourage, you know, other people that come in, whether they're female or male, and I always tell them, you know, do your best and keep working hard and people will, you know, you'll get the respect that you deserve. You know, mm -hmm. Just don't, so I just try to, try to be the best example that I can be because these guys that are coming in are our future. Yeah. And, you know, you want to show them the best way that we were taught. You know, I had a I had a female FTO, and I always thought I want to be just like her. I want to be strong like her. And with everything that's happened to me, I think I came out stronger and better. Well, I know I, I know you said that you really you you didn't feel like there was anything special or unique about you. But I'll tell you one thing: anybody who I'm sure anybody that knows you, including Will, and anybody that hears this podcast, will definitely. They're not going to agree with you. You are our unique spirit. And I, again, appreciate your time in uh, doing this podcast with us. Well, thank you. And I appreciate it. It was an honor.